All right. Hello, everybody. This is Tom Horsack, the host of The Agile Gardeners. Today's guests are Jonathan Howell and Alan Jealous. Is that correct, John? Hey, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> After weeks of mispronouncing your last name, it's like, dang it. Um, did the same thing with Matthias. I wonder where he's at nowadays. But um, okay, so today's topic is how bold is bold enough when it comes to agile coaching. And uh, this is a topic born out of some discussions I've had as of late and, you know, in listening to Jonathan and Alan's challenges that they've been facing over the last week, just how far do you go and uh, as an agile coach to bring about the transformation within an organization. Some of it's based on some of our past conversations regarding how do you measure agile coach, um, diversity and discrimination. How do you address those issues as an agile coach going into a client or and are being a member of an organization? And how do you bring those topics up? And what's what's kind of like is is there a responsibility of us as agile coaches and transformation? We call us facilitators or leaders, change agents, agents of change. Just how bold do we go? And I know I've been involved in some transformation, which, you know, they always, leadership loves to pull, they'll be bold, you know, when, in what you propose. I'm like, okay, just, just how far do I go before I get my hand slapped? You know, um, and maybe that's what you got to do is push it. And then that's really kind of what I would like to, to discuss today is, is there an obligation to be, to be bold as an agile coach and really, kind of push to find the boundaries of what needs to be done in the organization or is it our role to just kind of be a member of the herd and go with the flow um, i can say you know from my personal perspective i do not align myself with joining the herd and going with the flow um, i look at my role as being that of a change agent so that means i have to I feel as though I have to be bold in, in what I go after and what I address. And you can tell just by the, some of the topics that we've, we've talked about. And, um, but I, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I can see where in some cases challenges as an internal coach within an organization. Can you be so bold? Maybe that's not the right question. I guess maybe the right question should be, should you be so bold? Right. Um, what are your thoughts? It's a great topic. <laughs> also a difficult yes. topic. It's also a difficult topic for a number of reasons. So there's a balance to be had between bold, um, which appears to be driven, and bold that's empathy-driven. Empath so... It's very easy to make a statement or a stance. I'll take a stance. But if you're not going with the herd, if you're going against the herd, you're going to get trampled. Okay. So you need to steer from within, coaching from the back of the classroom type style. But there are also occasions where you do need to take a stance. Well, if you're an agilist, can't you just avoid the herd as it's coming back to run you over? Yeah. Interesting question. I mean, I guess that's where the change driver part, what's driving change? What's the reason for the change and who's sponsoring it? Uh, which goes back to Tom, what you said about, can you do it if you're internal? I think it's harder if you're internal. But, uh, but also we're coaches, right? Um, so coaching is a different stance and it has a different tone to it. And 
it's not directive, right? It's very much not directive. So I'm not telling you in most cases. I'm probing and bringing questions to mind that cause the team, the organization to self-reflect and, and see if we're making good decisions. This goes back to the definition of bold and empathy. Mm. Okay, so are we are we agreeing that we're going to be empathetically bold? So I'm going to ask Alan, how would you do that? <laughs> Show the empathy, <laughs> but still, uh, in my case and what I tried uh, before, uh, kind of bold uh, stand behind, you know, kind of my principles and my believing especially about this agile stuff and really nobody can kind of move me out of that uh, zone if i can call it my zone uh, and uh, firmly say you know this is guy what i guys you know what uh, i believe could be good things to try not kind of to done you know kind of again kind of switching head a little bit coaching you know this is especially if i uh, use it before you know that's what uh, worked for me in the past a little bit kind of mentoring stuff you know shifting heads from coaching to mentoring and teaching uh, which is part of this big package of agile coaching uh, and then uh, as a change agent, you know, when people said, yeah, this is not working for us or something, then stepping in, as uh, Tom also mentioned, with this questioning, okay, which part of this is not working for you? Or what have you tried so far and didn't work it for you? And then uh, still kind of remain bold or firm, but then pushing back with these questions are kind of out of curiosity what is not working for you out of curiosity uh, why do you think it will not work for you that's uh, how i did it before and uh, and now i am yeah, working as internal you know in the internally organization and i can uh, see some of these challenges and uh, that's something now i'm trying to find a way how can i handle it but still stay kind of firm and empathetically bold. Jonathan, you okay with that? Yeah, totally okay with that. Like the answer there, Alan, quite um, in-depth, quite comprehensive. And of course, one of the big call-outs in there is agile coaching. It's not just coaching. Ah. It's teaching, it's mentoring. Yeah, and I think that that's, you know, the multiple hats we have put us in an in a incredible position to present organizations and teams and individuals with bold things to think about, mm. you know, but it, you know, like for instance, you know, we've been doing this agile coaching success measure system and, and we were doing a section called return on asset. And one coaches in a review spoke up, said, well, you know, the, we don't, we want to make sure that the coach is not accountable for everything. And I'm like, oh, uh, why would that be? Why would you ever put yourself in a position for that? Um, but at the same time, 
what are you accountable for as a coach? And it kind of brought to, to, to light, at least what I perceived <clears throat> was a group of individuals that look at themselves as coaches, which is that they kind of just are with the herd, helping them deal with the specifics of the agile framework that they're working within. And, and not necessarily, and, and I'm being somewhat tempered here, not necessarily agents of change. I mean, is an agile coach an agent of a change? Um, I, I perceive it as such, just because I think that agility offers such a transformational opportunity for organizations. Why not leverage it to, to the maximum available? So, and how do, how do you actually go about an agility transformation and make it stick so that when you come back in a year, it's really, it's actually gotten better <clears throat> and the like. So to do that, I think you do have to kind of push the boundaries and uh, get people to be uncomfortable for a little bit and then figure out that, yeah, well, I can still work within that framework and within that mindset um, and do actually more. So I think that that's, that's really kind of what, what got to me is like, maybe there's a large number of agile coaches that look at it differently and that they are not necessarily change agents. They are just facilitators of uh, transformation or agile frameworks. But if I may interrupt, Tom, uh, it, it actually, it's great, great point. And what I'm experiencing, experiencing right now, uh, it's uh, that, uh, in the company, these agile coaches, uh, they are uh, yeah, dictators, <laughs> if I can call them. Uh, they are, uh, you, you know, when you are unexperienced and then you are pointing all these things, what people are doing wrong. Mm. And then you then you pretend that you are agile coach or you have a, you know, HR role, agile coach. Uh, and that's uh, one of these things what I'm, uh, trying to figure out how can I handle uh, these wannabe agile coaches and the teams I'm working with they are scared and I suggest something you know guys have you tried this they say but uh, we cannot do that uh, agile coach told us we, we must do it this way <laughs> you know and uh, you know that's a uh, yeah I don't know how call it but a uh, lot of people became or get a title agile coaches uh, without knowing actually what uh, what that means and you know these different heads what we talked about uh, before they are not aware of they they are playing if i can call it uh, project managers you need to do agile this way you need to do safe this way it's from the, your burn down chart and, and they are not changing anything. They are just creating even more confusion. So, so just picking up on that topic of the agile coach, uh, I've definitely seen the two camps here. I've seen those that are driving a framework. They are driving a change. And then there are those of us who evolve change. And evolving change is difficult because it's easy to say, just do it this way because you know from your own experience that that will work but if you 
get the individuals on the path where they discover it for themselves, it's going to stick. So, Tom, going back to your comment about change, meaningful change that stays, can only occur if they own it. And that's empowerment. And how yeah. can you be? How can you be? How can you walk around with a title as a, of an agile coach and actually be directive? I'm not saying that there's not going to be times in which you need to take a different stance and to help push the organization in a direction to to make it safe for the transformation as a reference. Okay, what I'm saying is that. The majority of your time is a coach, a coaching presence does not direct the coaching presence raises awareness, poses questions that provide an opportunity for an individual, a team or an organization for a moment of retrospect to figure out for themselves, what's the right thing to do. How do we address um, equity for women in the organization, how do we address equity for racial issues in the organization, how do we address um all the other things that you know we might run into as far as you know as we execute this project how do we address this siloed organization that we have between logistics and production you know nobody wants to talk to each other and they're all equally super important um those kind of things so you know and i'm cautious right i mean everybody's on a different learning curve when it comes to what they see as what an agile coach is but I also, uh, I guess, you know, and being bold, I'm saying I'll call you out. If, if you're not really an agile coach, but yeah, you're calling yourself an agile coach, please find some training in with somebody that can help you understand the essence of what it truly is and what a coaching stance really is because you're not helping. You're not really delivering agile if that's your approach because we are responsible for ensuring an empowered and that empowerment occurs self-organizing self-managing you can't do that when you're telling people what to do that's completely contradictory yeah so i had an interesting experience last week so we were doing the um this session and i was driving i was in a car so i was muted most of the time and I was listening more than I was contributing. But Tom passed a comment towards the end about, wow, you've really been challenging us today, John. Silence is a really powerful tool. But not only for, the, for you as an individual, because it means you're actively listening, but also to the people who are going, but you're not saying anything. Why aren't you saying anything? You know, what's your views on this? Have you got an input for this? The presence, without being present in every meeting, makes people see you. So I, I worked with an organization in Poland that was very, very forward thinking. And they, was, they come to find me to find out if I was all right, because I wasn't in the meeting. But I couldn't be in every meeting, right? But the fact that I, they came looking for me showed that I'd reached this point with them where they appreciate the value of the coach. And that's a really powerful statement. That's a strong statement in itself. So silence or a presence without being present is quite a strong stance to take. And that's something I learned had re-emphasized last week when I couldn't speak because I was in a car and I was listening to you guys and it just got me thinking about things. I started thinking about them in a different way to how I would normally think. So I'm used to running my mouth, right? You guys know that. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's a great point, Jonathan. And, uh, you know, in the same time, especially, you know, once when we can meet and be with the people, you know, in the office, uh, you are, you know, you are listening, you are 
uh, silent, but they will feel comfortable because you are there. You enable them uh, their journey, you know, what and how they could do things. But you are just observing. And I think uh, our brain, it's why I say, okay, you know, daddy is home, I'm safe. Mm. You know, that, that's really powerful. And uh, Tom, if I can just add uh, one thing about this, you know, kind of uh, to be directive, you know, or bold, if we could uh, reform reformulate and kind of see enabling them to find their own direction, you know, it, as we talk uh, in the beginning about this road mapping, you know, guys, you are here, where would you like to be in, you know, next week or three months? And then keep them uh, accountable, as Jonathan mentioned, you know, guys, this is your journey here. Where are you? You know, have you made any pit stops or is it red light here? Again, if you can uh, yeah, picturize it or create as a story, then uh, I think we could uh, also make a change uh, to, to stick and, you know, to be more sustainable. But I mean, like what you're saying on the road mapping, for instance, bold, as I view it, is how do I go about, like, like say I'm in the organization and you want to do a road mapping exercise. My dogs are going crazy. And so um, let's say you've been in the organization for a while, but you're as an agile coach assigned to walk, help them through this process. And you know of some hidden problems within the organization. Um, you know, whether they're of social pertinence or not, whatever. Do you own bringing those into the conversation about the road mapping? Or are they topics? Okay, maybe this is a way to look at it. There, there's situations in the organization which are been unspeaking, unspoken, right? Issues. And um, you're going through this road mapping. Is it upon you as an agile coach to put that out there in a, in, a, in a coaching, from a coaching stance for that group of people in the road mapping exercise to think about? Or do you just not talk, don't, don't touch it? Maybe there's this huge inequity in salaries. Maybe there's a huge racial issue within the organization. I mean, these are big issues. Hmm. I, I will definitely bring it up. Uh, and uh, in addition, for example, what uh, Jonathan was kind of, you know, observing and listening, then I will bring it in kind of coach, uh, agile coaching way. Guys, what I observed last two weeks or two months, uh, mm -hmm. I can see some uh, potential challenges you might have on this journey. Is there anybody consider it to work on it or to remove it or something? Again, pack it kind of in the, in the questions, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, give them again, accountability. If they say no, then say, okay, then, you know, I, maybe I misunderstood something. But most likely, you know, when, when we have a, someone who, who is bold enough and, uh, yeah, brave enough to bring it up, then I believe people will start uh, contributing. 
Now that's something I definitely believe in. Somebody in the in the group that you're working with really it, it stands up and puts it mm -hmm. on the table. I feel it's on me to make sure that I express support to have this conversation. So here's here's the reality. Um, project management. Yeah. <laughs> project management has become a dirty word. Project managers have become a dirty word. For whatever reason, I don't care uh, about the reason, but you take project planning as an example and you go, no, no more, hashtag no more plans. Right. And you go, okay, well, what are you going to do if you don't have plans? You know, if you, if you want to take a framework, if you take Scrum as a framework, there's more planning involved in that than a typical project manager normally has. All right. So, so let's, let's take this example of the roadmap. So you're not going to plan anymore. What are you going to use as your vehicle for direction and for, for, for progression and understanding? In fact, if you're going to pivot, how do you know you're pivoting if you haven't got something that you're working against? You know, so I think you're right, Tom. There are times where you have to introduce it. You know, you go, Here are some tools and techniques. We met each other through a course that gave us a load of tools and techniques. You know, I, I view myself as relatively... Um, stable in my understanding of the ask. But when you go on a course like the one we've just done and you go, wow, there's so much more that we haven't got ourselves. But there are people who are on a different journey to us and there are people behind us on the journey. So you have to introduce these things. It's not a matter of um, letting them find it for themselves. You introduce it to them and then you let them play with it. Yeah. And then if they want your advice, give them it. But if they don't, then they can throw your advice away or not even ask for it. But if you don't have that stance in the first place, how do they know what they're missing out on? I agree. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I, I'm always kind of switching these heads, you know, introduce something, say, okay, you know, guys, let me introduce you something, what I learned or what I, you know, tried before, what worked for me. Uh, are you interested to try or give a try? Uh, and... I was so lucky yeah, so far that people are curious to explore. Okay, what, what is it? Let's, let's try it. Well, I look at a lot of these situations or, or, or conditions within the organization. Everybody knows about them or most people know about them and um, are just being, have been assimilated into the culture to either just don't go there. Just don't go there. It just turns into a bad situation. And, and just click on the survival mode and uh, focus on other things. And I just, um, I don't know. I, it was funny. I mean, years ago, I was at this uh, organization, at just a small place, and we were doing satellite communication equipment. And me and a friend of mine from engineering went in to um, uh, the CEO at the time, and we were talking about an evolution versus revolution. We were on the revolutionary camp. You know, we were going to be really bold and just rewrite how we were working as an organization. Very old school organization, very siloed, very hierarchical. And we were just like, no, we can see that there can be something better here. And, and looking across the table at the guys like, um, no, <laughs> no, you know, it was great. He said, you know, that's interesting. Let me think about that. And I'm going, just give me an answer. Yes or no. What can I do with this? Yes. <laughs> but eventually, you know, like a week later, he comes back and says, well, 
I think we're more of an evolutionary organization. Mm. Okay. I mean, but I asked the question and um, it wasn't the answer that I was hoping for, but I like, okay, well, what can I find? How to evolution is, um, hmm. What's how fast is evolution? Hmm. Okay. I can play with that. I can play with that. Exactly. And while we are evolving, we can create small revolution in that evolution journey, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that, old, that old saying, pick your battles kind of a thing. But, but I mean, pick your battles also plays against being bold, in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, I, I guess I, the topic came out of frustration this week. And it was like, um, and I had to, I, I don't want to be bad mouthing population of agile coaches that are just trying to figure out where they belong in the organization and how they belong, how they need to be. Um, I guess what I'm asking is that they, everybody take a little moment to think just what, what is my role? What, what, what does it mean to me to be a change agent in this role? And how far am I willing to go to help the organization become truly agile where empowerment is the day-to-day DNA of the organization, we're self-managing, self-organizing, where it's not where everybody tells everybody and everybody starts to feel meaningfully passionate about their involvement in the company. Um, and I don't think, you know, there was some time, you know, don't, don't put everything on the agile coach for, you know, return on asset. And it was, it was, I took it as just a cop out of being an agile coach because, you know, you have to have that con- I think you should have the conversation within the organization. Just what, what do you see as the value of agile coaching in the organization? Simple as that. Yeah, exactly. What is the leadership? Why are you, why, why are you doing this? And what do I need to focus on so that I can help you achieve this vision you have? I think that's a really interesting point that Tom, you know, it, it, who are you coaching? Yeah. Are you coaching the exec? Are you coaching the teams? Are you coaching the organization? Because where you're positioned in their structure, as they perceive it, bears an influence on how you execute the duties that you're doing. Yeah. You know, is it bottom up? Is it, is it top down? Or is it somewhere in between? You know, I, I quite like this somewhere in between. I mean, if you think about the, you know, the defensive moves of birds or fish that are in the shell, you know, putting yourself in the middle of that, you are helping steer it. But you're not the only person steering it. They're steering it as well. You're part of the collective. I don't want to use the bog expression there, but you know what I'm saying. You know, if you're in the middle of it, you've got to be in the mix in order to influence it. And I think the two types of coaches that I'm not a great fan of, the dictatorial one, and, and you're right, Alan, there are those that just say, you need to do this. But then that leads you to the zombie agile, zombie scrum. Um, and then there's the opinionated the opinionated coach being there done it got the t-shirt is not good enough because otherwise you would have a rule book that says this is how you coach people yeah and we've come together as a group we have all got something in common but i challenge you to put it into words what, it, what we have in common mm. i can put it into words one word passion yep. where you go beyond that is dependent on the organization you're in and your own journeys I absolutely agree, and uh, uh, at least in my case, you know, this passion drives my motivation. Uh, and uh, again, back to a lot of, especially new agile coaches, they are 
focusing on the frameworks, but they are forgetting people in that journey. Mm. Yeah. You know, and uh, as I'm growing, you know, and learning more about all these things, now I'm uh, taking an opposite approach, people first, and whatever we call it afterwards. Uh, you know, and then, then I think uh, if we start focusing more on, on humans or people uh, and talk with them and get uh, to uh, get them understand where they are on their journey, you know, and how we can enable them, uh, I believe it will be easier to apply any framework, you know, in the world when they feel that we treat them uh, as, as they are as human instead of robots, you know, as, as Jonathan mentioned. Yeah. yeah, agile, agile, that will not work. You know, I think that, you know, the course that you were referring to, uh, Jonathan, was that uh, Enterprise Agility course. And yeah. which which is interesting. I, I, I kind of think there's a difference between agile transformation and agility transformation. And at, at least from the way to keep it straight in my head is I look at an agile transformation as more related to the framework, an agile framework being applied in like a software kind of the, as it was originally designed, so to speak, um, where agility is like, okay, how do I take this and apply it across all functions within an organization? Cause I can't really make the frameworks fit. You know, it's, I'm kind of putting a square peg in a round hole in many cases, but I'm trying to instill the i guess the benefits which is the empowerment which is the self-managing and um, self-organizing and to build the passion and i think that um to to do that you have to be bold because how do you how do you i mean the frameworks that are out there are not the end all there's more to come once we start to push the boundaries what is that what's the next one that's going to come on on the way right um what's the one from pmi discipline agile whatever yeah yeah and then so i mean they they're born out of need and and as agility gets moved outside of just the engineering realm and development realm then um more things will come but i think it takes bold a bold approach mm. to get there I always, I always wonder like you know how do you how do you bring agility into finance show me the money <laughs> <laughs> one penny at a time <laughs> i was just kidding uh, no no i mean that, that no i mean it's pretty simple right just show me the money it's finance mm. just show me the money isn't that agile as it is? But yet, how many of you have had problems getting things done in that and with through a finance function, whether it's getting paid for the services you rendered or whatever it might be? <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting one because if you if you're working with um, persist, persistent teams, the finance will get easier because your burn rate is static. Whereas if you bring in a project together of individuals project being something that has a transitory team with them that then break up at the end, then it's harder because you, you don't have a steady cash flow. Mm. So theoretically, from, from an agile perspective, the cash flow should become easy with finance. Ah. Yeah. 
and I, I have also example, it's not kind of directly with finance, but indirectly mm. with the team and the kind of cost of the team per uh, sprint or iteration. Okay. Uh, where uh, in my previous company, we had kind of this flat rate, how much we cost per week. Uh, and then I took that and our teams, uh, you know, both based in uh, Copenhagen, but also in uh, Bangalore in India. And then I calculated, you know, one sprint kind of two weeks cost thirty thousand dollars you know and then uh, i asked the product owner in the team okay we are starting this print planning are you going to give us thirty thousand uh, dollars so we can spend it or are we going to produce something beneficial for the company and our customer and she was shocked because she she was not aware said ellen this is not true so, yep it is trust me and in that kind of presentation or visualization, then she start prioritize things really for this, you know, particular products we were working on. Well, to and me, that's he, very bold. I mean, you you put something that you just wow, that was that was an epiphany for that product owner. What thirty grand? Where am I gonna? What? Ah, come on! No, it's real. And, and, you know, I presented everything, you know, and, and you know, also kind of this uh, transparency and openness. But, yeah, I was bold. Yeah, I never thought <laughs> to call it bold. But, yeah, this is the fact, you know, and then really kind of, yeah, boing. <laughs> Slightly off topic, but just to build out from what you just said there, Alan, um, there's another, the next step beyond that is loaded and fully loaded costs. So you've, you've built the cost of the team, but fully loaded cost includes the desk space, the supporting teams such as HR and so on. So you've got, so I actually agile finance is really, really interesting. It's yeah, I do finance quite often, but agile finance, I find quite simple because you're not procuring services and therefore you can work the cost out quite quickly. And then that leads you into the product owner discussion about, is it worth it? Are you going to get the return that you're expecting from this? You know, because we're going to projects, we don't know the cost. We build a team and then we hire other services in, and then we actually find out we need the other skills from somewhere else and you lose control of your costs. So you're full of constantly replanning finance based around that. Whereas if you're an agile team and your cross uh, uh, self-sustaining teams are fairly static price and therefore you can actually work out your return on investment. And you're right, Tom, it's a bold statement because accountants aren't used to it. Mm. I mean, I, I I guess at the beginning of this conversation, I was thinking, you know, taking on, so, you know, current social issues and things like that. But I mean, there's other things that bold encompasses just like uh, Alan brought up. I mean, that was like, wow, those kind of things I think are important for us. And the way that you described that, how you did that um, is an important tool that people can look at in, in bringing these ideas and these issues um, into the right audience take some skill at times sometimes it just dies and i don't know you know i also have picked up that um there's not a lot of experience in amongst um agile coaching in regard to conflict and and how do you resolve conflict and i don't know from maybe i'm just maybe because of my penchant for revolutionary change <laughs> i've had to deal with a lot of conflict <laughs> and, and it's like ah so so i'm not you know, it's just kind of, I've got a little more experience, I guess, in that. 
and it doesn't like shake me up as maybe others, but um, being bold sometimes rate creates conflict and then you have to be capable of managing that conflict and de-escalating and, and getting people to take a moment to, to breathe and have empathy for each other. I had an, inter I had a, an interview for a job and um, they were, they basically asked the question, you know, what's one of these times in which you had a conflict and how did you resolve it? You know, standard star question, right? And I had this group of um, oil people One's uh, out on the oil rig. The other one's the engineering group that designed the oil rig. And I had the two mm -hmm. groups to get together to talk about, you know, how come they're not working well together. And one guy from the operation side, I mean, it's a rough and tumble world, reached across the table <laughs> to go after one of the engineers. Um, luckily, that didn't end up in any blood, but it certainly brought to point, you know, the challenge we have with the conflict. But it the real, after answering the question, the, the thing that brought was empathy, listening, helping each group listen. One, because the way that you present the opportunity to an audience is to provoke them to look inside of where that fits within their being, within their organization, within their team. Right? And that's what unlocks... The possibilities and then that's how you did it with um your product manager product owner hey. so hey Zach. and then uh, i don't know if you are, are uh, familiar with uh, from coaching point of view uh, when we talk about the conflicts uh, there is uh, one uh, term or explanation it's called coin uh, conversation mm, i'm not familiar uh, Assuming it's uh, two uh, sides of the story, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, uh, then uh, if you are part of the conflict, of course, uh, as a coach, uh, ap apart from be bold and stands, you know what we stand for, but maybe you know, try to compromise a little bit to get others on the side. But if you are observing conflicts, you know, then uh, there is yeah this term called coin conversation where you listen both sides to get the context and ask uh, these people about the context are we aware of it and then you provide observation yeah. and then you provide how you felt during that observation you know not like uh, uh, what i saw or you say that you said that no you kind of tell them you know i feel really kind of offended when uh, you told him or her these things so you are providing kind of your way and then what impact that uh, observation over this conflict what impact had it on me again showing the feeling uh, and uh, and then ask them in the end, you know, okay, what will be the next step? Shall we kind of make a piece or do we need some additional coaching or something else, you know? But obviously uh, our brains are kind of wired about this uh, feeling. And sometimes we, we have a hard time to describe the feeling, but if we say it to other person, then people start getting to having yeah, empathy you know, and they are trying to set us, uh, set uh, themselves in our shoes. Say, oh, I didn't even know that I offended 
Tom or, or Jonathan by saying this, mm -hmm. but you raised this awareness and you told me, Helen, I, I felt so offended and I think it's kind of inappropriate to mention that in this particular situation. Then I said, oops, mm -hmm. I shouldn't even start this. So that could be kind of one of these things during uh, kind of about the conflict. Stuff. It's great for psychological safety too, right? Which is one of the key missing elements in many organizations. Um, and I think that that's, that's a great concept in, to bring about because you change the topic from it, from what, to emotions right, that made me feel. And as soon as you start talking about feelings, then everybody else feels safe to start talking about feelings or at least inch toward <clears throat> talking about feelings. Now, I maybe I'm, I operate under the assumption that an agile coach is kind of like an ob objective element within the organization. And that you know you're somewhat independent. Your goal is, or at least your remit is, is to come in and observe and help people see um, new ways or what's really going on and and how to apply the. As a coach, I guess and, you know there's times you mentor and teacher and so on and so forth. But I look at maybe I'm wrong in that. Do you see coaches as being that outside objective influence over? The organization that can take as you presented alan um that opportunity to go okay i see this this interaction between these two groups and for me it makes me feel this would does that anybody else share that does is this make sense does now the only way in or at least not i shouldn't say the only way but i mean the, the i would see is the best way to do it is as an outside objective observer I don't have any skin in the game per se as to which direction that conversation goes. Oh, definitely, oh. I, I will. I, I will. I will do it. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I, I had a couple of teams, you know, where I expressed my feeling, what I saw. But if I should come in kind of this new situation, uh, then I will definitely yeah, be bold and bring it up. My, my feeling, Jonathan. So yeah, what I've agreeing with you there i was challenging myself and thinking about some of these scenarios i've been in and um sometimes you have to have skin in the game to bring credibility to to, to the situation so i as you guys know i spend a lot of time doing recoveries um not only of projects but of organizations where they try something and they've hurt themselves along the way and putting skin in the game brings a a credibility to what you're trying to achieve because you're not sometimes you you can't be the outsider you have to be one of them you have to be with them to be on the journey with them to help them foster their own culture because they break the culture right you know so it's about building that trust about building that safe environment but if you're an outsider you can't necessarily gain that level of trust if you can yeah. it's ideal and it's the preferred scenario but it's not always the case especially in organizations that have got problems Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that in working with that organization, had I not spent time out on the oil rigs and, you know, observing and, and participating in that activity, I wouldn't be able to have the conversation. So I kind of had to earn street cred in order to, to do that. But the end, as far as the outcome, I, I didn't care what the outcome was in that challenge in that conflict because it was all about how well are we taking care of the oil rig the 20 million dollar asset yeah I, th I think i want to contradict myself now and give the opposite side of the coin 
Uh, and that is, by the time you've got skin in the game and you do care about it, it's probably time to be moving on because you're no longer impartial. Mm. Huh? Mm. Probably. Yeah, I think there's something that, you know, you, ha you have to have knowledge and understanding. I mean, I, I couldn't, in, no, in those cases and many others, I, I wouldn't be able to frame a question without having some, or I, I can definitely frame a better question. Maybe that's a way to phrase it. I can frame a better question if I have some experience um, related to the context of the conflict or of the situation that needs to be addressed. Yeah, and I think this is one of the problems I have with, and this is an ageist comment, right? Mm -hmm. With age comes experience. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the problems I have with the promoted frameworks, the big frameworks that are out there in Agile, is you do a two-day course. Actually, some of them, don't, you don't even need to do the course. You pay your money, you take the exam. You pass the exam, you're an expert. Now, I know managers, project managers, who've got years and years of experience, and I, I would have no problem with them going up to just have a discussion with an MD. But the guy who's done a, a two-day course, he's got his badge, wears it with pride and rightly so, he's not in a position where he can have a meaningful conversation with an MD of a company. But they're autonomous and they're empowered. Mm. You know, and with age comes the experience. That's a bold statement. That probably politically incorrect <laughs> statement, but look, I, I got my master's in project management. <laughs> and I found in the industry, they could, they, one, I just don't think they understood it, but they understood PMP. Yep. 400 questions, what, I think 70% correct of 400 questions, and you're a PMP. I spent two years. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I know the feeling. I have the same. <laughs> <laughs> Master project management. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a bold learning on my part. It was a great disappointment. But I eventually got my PMP. I assimilated. <clears throat> so, out of out of need. Got to have a job. So, okay. So, where are we then? Are we... Um, was this a, a topic worth discussing? It's, it seems kind of weird in that this conversation, and one, I've talked too much. Uh, two, it's like, I think we're all trying to feel, or maybe we're all going through, I know I am going, looking back in my past experience going, was I, was I not, should I kind of second guessing some of my own activity and understanding was I bold enough? And maybe that was why, and I'm, I'm just really hesitant to be judgmental on individuals that have yet to find their legs underneath them to, to stand up and be bold. Right. But um, I think if, if you're struggling to, to figure out, how bold is bold enough, then you need to ask, you need to start having conversations. I know from my own experience, I was working with a, a leadership team and, and I was observing their behavior, uh, trying to figure out how to get them to work better together. And I was fortunate enough to have an individual on my team that could just like, was like a magician when it came to taking notes during a meeting. I mean, just incredible content and depth of notes. And I was like, Oh, this is perfect. And uh, so she wrote those up for me and we discussed them. And, and I took those to the uh, VP and uh, I said, this is your homework for the next week. I want you to read through this and see um, if anything jumps out at you, anything emerges, right? Great coaching. Mm, yes. Here's your homework. 
And he came back the next week and he was just big smile on his face. And, you know, he's a big burly guy, big burly oil guy <laughs> and um, <laughs> very intimidating, um, but a great guy. And so he comes back and said, wow, I, I can't believe I, I, I sat back and I, I thought about everything that's on here. And I'm like, yes, this is all, we need to do something about this. This needs to be addressed. And I'm like, okay, whew, what? <laughs> I wasn't sure I was making the right choice, but I set up the conversation in a way that was non-threatening and with an individual that I had a bit of a relationship with that I felt that I could kind of push the boundary with and um, put forth a bold opportunity for him to, for retrospect. What if he come back and said, no, this is all you know BS and I, I don't know where you're coming from. I don't know what I would have done because I was, I was pretty much dependent upon a positive <laughs> response from him on it. <laughs> um, but, you know, so, you, so I guess there's some groundwork that you have to do to figure out where you need to be in order to really move the needle. That's, that's kind of my take, but um, am I, I'm missing something on this camera. Have you guys kind of felt like you've been a little bit hesitant on this or am I just kind of, I was just, just thinking about what you were saying then, and there's, there's a word that sits with that boat, and that's confidence. You 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 were confident on where the outcome was going to come, mm. so you're in a position to be bold. Mm. Uh, whereas, question to you, if the outcome had come out differently, would you have run away, or would you face into it and continue going on? I suspect you'd have continued. Me? So there's boldness in there. <laughs> Even though you've got confidence, you've been bold, and you would have just continued anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, most likely I would have, but yeah, but I mean, uh, so that's the confidence bit. Yeah, and, and like you said, you know, is that just you know experience and talking there, and that that gives you that confidence, or is it like for me, it was as I f look back on that moment was just passionate. This really needs to change. This is not right. You got too much infighting in here and you guys are not working together. And these are specific statements that were made that clearly indicate this <laughs> positioning of people in the room, clearly indicating that they are basically little fiefdoms and so on and so forth. You know, he goes, I've never, I've never had to look in the mirror. Like I've had to look in the mirror this last week of what I've been doing or what I've been allowing. <laughs> But that's, you know, as Jonathan also just said, you know, it's about self-confidence and passion about this. And then you are bold and brave enough to bring all this true on the table. And you will stand behind that. At least that's what, what I will do. Yeah. And, oh. you know, and enabling this, yeah, yeah. Openness, uh, respect for people who they are, but this is our reality. And how can we work on it? And where we are starting. Mm -hmm. So I think rephrasing what you just said there, Alan, we've just gone full circle. Passion. Mm -hmm. The driver is passion. Yeah. And, exactly. and a desire to make the environment better. See, that's, I, God. You know, for it's just amazing for me in that um, this last year and, and going through all this change and even maybe a little bit before, meaningful, the simple word meaningful 
is so meaningful to me. It's like it's such a, it's so impactful. Um, it, it guides, I use it as my guide, my North star. Is it meaningful to me to pursue this? Um, am I passionate enough that I want to see this group of people become, you know, what I feel they may be able to become? Whether it's the team, the leadership, whatever that is, right? And then to just be, I guess I've been fortunate in my career that I've seen people grow so much over the course of uh, various engagements that that's become the most important aspect of, of, you know, being involved. Um, so I don't know. And that's the passion piece. And then from there, you, you get the um, confidence to, to try uh, new things and to push the boundaries and to be bold. Absolutely. And then you are quite passionate about something. And when you talk about or showing, you know, people feel it, mm. you know, and then, uh, I will be curious, say, okay, all these things what Tom is talking about, hmm, let me see, or can I contribute also, because I can see all these, you know, drive what you are doing, then I just want to kind of be the follower, could be interesting journey, you know, and it, it's a yeah, passion, but also this uh, inside feeling, which is kind of spread around, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. Yeah, it can be a bit infectious at times, or it can be yeah. a major turnoff. This guy's a real, you know, too pushy. But I think okay. it's a matter of taking the right coaching presence, right? And when you talk about these things and um, when you bring them up, I mean, that's, I've learned that that's really important because I, I don't want to tell you what to do. I, I got four kids. What good is that? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but if I can open your eyes to seeing what's possible, just just to take a just just to raise enough inquisitive nature that you have in you to question that's all that's i'm exactly. looking for that's that's the opening right there what comes out of that who knows and that should be our measurement of success as an agile coaches mm. from so my personal oh, sorry jonathan go ahead sorry i thought you'd finished i was just no, saying no. Interesting um, set of words you both used. And I was thinking about the words I use. Tom, you're fortunate enough. Alan, you're lucky enough. And I, I talk about being privileged, my privileged journey. I'm going to ask, and I'm, I'm thinking, how much of that is actually driven by our passion, our, our desire to make the environments better? Is it luck? Is it fortune? Or is it, you know, we're making this, you know, we're in the middle of it. You know, I don't think there's luck. No luck. I don't think there's any luck about it. Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> I, I, these are conscious decisions to do differently, in my opinion. I don't. Yeah. It, I I guess maybe my perception of what luck would mean is that there's some kind of you know other than just how I fi how I see people changing and how that makes me feel. I mean, if you go by how is it helping my pocketbook? Well, we've got a long way to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so you know, luck is gambling kind of a thing. Um, but, but, but Tom, you put yourself in that position. You choose to put yourself in that position. Alan, you, know, you, you drive that position, you know, so they're bold. That's bold, right? A lot of people will just follow the flow. Mm. You know, people are comfortable uh, in one skin. Pushing right. boundaries is what we're about. 
So, so how do you exactly. get this massive number of coaches to be bold? How do we how do we help them be bold and really change the world? My view is start with the question: Is it batch or is it passion? What you prefer? Hmm. You know, ICC, ACC, and stuff. Because many of them aiming to get the badge from different alliance or you know training centers, mm. but when when it's come to show the passion or drive, then then we see the struggle. So if we mm. could, yeah, help them, guide them, or do something. So they can start feeling inside. This is really what I want. You know, I want to change the world. <laughs> if we should be bold and go go big, mm-hmm. so that's that's my stake. I, I I find that really interesting, Alan, because I made a conscious decision about four or five years ago. Because I had people coming up against me and saying, "Yeah, but what do you know? I'm qualified in this." So I made a conscious decision to, to spread across the various accreditations, not to do the badge chasing, but so I could say, "Yeah, I know, I've got that as well." Mm. Yeah, I I know, uh, I, I agree, and that's uh, you know I I learned it a lot during these trainings and you know all these badges I have, but my aim uh, was to learn something. That was my approach. And this badge, it's, you know, in situation when someone said, yeah, I'm uh, me too. But learning was kind of my uh, main goal. Yeah, and, that's why mine was a five-year plan, because it was structured. Mm, it was structured because it was a learning journey. Yeah, exactly. And I observed, you know, some of uh, other trainings uh, for from a, a Scrum Alliance, what I uh, did uh, uh, also last year. Uh, you know, people were sitting there for, you know, six weeks, uh, for advanced Scrum Master and uh, Scrum Master Professional, you know, for six weeks, uh, maybe they said two words, mm. they got the badge, you know. And that's, there is no passion there. It's about, you know, badging and probably getting good contract or something. And that's where we, if we could change that, that, that could be cool. Or raise awareness at least. Okay, so what, I, I'm hearing is that there is support for individuals that are basically it's a bit derogatory, but chasing certifications and just getting them to put on the CV. Absolutely. There's a whole cottage industry. Tom. Right. Right. And that's why people go to the lowest cost denominator for training and certifications because they've got this need to do this. So, that that means that there's some value in doing it. So some thing, some number of organizations support it. You know, and you can see it in the um, job search, job listings everywhere, mm. right? Do you have this? It's three yeah. acronyms or three letter mm. acronyms all over the place. Okay, so I think they need to be looking for more than just a three letter accreditation or certification right they need to be looking for what's the passion what's drive what's i mean just the simple question from a hiring organization saying so what is your passion in regard to agile coaching what is your passion in regard to project management 
they need to seek that out so that they can get the best possible quality um, individuals involved as you're even if you're in house and you're looking for individuals to take on the agile coaching role or any other basic role that you can get certified to do it whatever engineering whatever yeah. that has to be something that is asked and um, you have to as a interview you have to be able to deal with that um, question and response but i mean i would ask that every agile coach out there takes a moment are you passionate about agile coaching? Do you understand what power you have um, within a team, within an organization to help them achieve incredible change, mm -hmm. transformation? Maybe you just have to be bold, Tom? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I've done a lot of things, you know, I've been a engineering technician, an engineer, uh, project manager, uh, sales manager, uh, VP of engineering, uh, consultant, you know, all this stuff. Um, and maybe it's the privilege of age or experience. And it's like, even when I talk to my kids, you know, about what they need to do, you know, I, and they're young, right? They're in their young 20s. Do what you're passionate about is what I tell them. And that's what I would tell anybody else. Do what you're passionate about. Because if you're not passionate about it, it's just not going to mean anything for you. Yeah. And exactly. every Agile coach out there should ask themselves that question. Is this meaningful to me to do this job, to do this, to be a professional Agile coach, to help organizations transform into something better than what it is today? To help, I mean, to me, it's just such a cool thing. You can, you can, you are a facilitator of an organizational change that will make everybody feel as though you wished it had been when you were there, when you were them. Yeah. Kind of how my look yeah, at it. I wanted to. I, I had something to say and I couldn't say it. I had something to do and I couldn't do it because I wasn't empowered. I wasn't listened to. I wasn't able to work with people that were that thought like me, and had interests like me. So I, so I just lost the, all that potential contribution. I don't want that for anybody else going forward. And this, in this role, I can help them do that. I can. So Tom, I, think, I think that's, that's a big change, cultural change that we've seen in our lifetime. You know, so when I came up through my career, knowledge was power. Mm. So you, you held it away from people like us. You didn't have the Google search engines, right? The internet wasn't there. Knowledge was king. Now we're in a, a in different era. We're in an era of where sharing and collaboration is king. Mm. And, I, and I've seen that on this last week. I was in a, a meeting and there was a scenario going down and the director um, from one of the suppliers, who's a friend of mine, spoke to his director. He said, John didn't even break a sweat out there. You know, and that's because you know I'm surrounded by people who are sharing and prepared to help each other. Mm. But I wish that was there when I started my career. Yeah. I know the feeling. <laughs> Look, I mean, if it's not right for you and, you and you you sit back and you go, is this what I want? Is this what I can be passionate about? Is this meaningful to me? And you go, no. Well, then change. That's the nice thing about this world that we're living in. I and mean, you can be whatever you want in many cases, not all, but many cases. Just like you did, Jonathan, you got on a five-year plan to, to, to go through all the certs and, and do things differently. And I, I, you know, the last year has all been kind of laid out for myself and what I wanted to be done differently. 
Put a plan together and put it on a Kanban board. Lay it out. <laughs> Backlog. <laughs> Work it. Exactly. And the passion is driver, right? Main driver. Mm. And, okay. and until we, we discover this kind of what trigger us in positive way in, from inside, yeah. then we are kind of wandering uh, around, right? Mm. Until we hit Say yes. So, so, okay. So if I got everything right, passion is what needs to be there for you to be bold and give you confidence to, for you to be bold. Is that kind of it? You feel passionate about something. Yes. From my point of view. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be balance, of course. But yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a saying here, I'm assuming you have it in America, but calm your passion. Mm. Yeah, and so it has to be balanced. So it has to be empathetic as well, which is what we said at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's you mentioned earlier, Tom, that the hundreds of coaches or thousands of coaches out there. How many of them are actually coaching coaches, and how many of them are badged coaches? What's that scrum you called it? Zombie scrum, zombie agile coaches oh, yeah. out there as well. Somebody, I mean, I'm sorry if if if. if individuals are offended by that but if you're offended by that then take a moment and think take a moment of retrospect on what you are doing and how you are doing and whether or not what you're doing is meaningful to you to give you passion for you to have confidence to be bold yeah that's a great point because if it's not figure out what you need to be where you need to go that really feels that need to be passionate what, what's your passion and yeah not not everybody has one i mean geez i love riding motorcycles i love working on <laughs> clocks i love agile coaching i love sitting around doing this conversation every saturday <laughs> <laughs> you know but you know your job's your job and it's you, it consumes more of your life than practically anything else so to me, in retrospect, and I tell my kids this, do something you're passionate about because you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. Absolutely. All righty. Well, I'm sorry that, you know, Polly wasn't here. She, she's one that has a lot of passion for agile coaching and, and the like. You know, she would have loved this conversation, but she's um, busy making cookies with um, grandson or somebody. Grand, somebody yeah, grandson. Grandson. yeah, that's kind of cool. Yes, yes. Easter holidays tomorrow. Easter's tomorrow. Hope everybody has a safe weekend. Thank you for the conversation for sure. And it definitely, it's amazing how these, you know, maybe it's just, just the time to sit back and think and kind of ponder for a little bit, just free form. It just feels great the rest of the day after these, you know, it's great. Thank you for um, helping us through this journey, Alan and, and Jonathan. And uh, until next week, but we do need a topic for next week. So. I can't keep coming up with these zingers, man. No, you're doing a great job of rigging them up. <laughs> yeah. Doing it. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Tom, Tom and Jonathan. But did we talk about uh, men in Asia? Oh, that's coming we... up, but we got to wait till uh, Polly's back because she's gonna. She yeah. says she's gonna host it. Now, I think that's a great topic because the women in Agile um, thing has been a big hit for us, and I'm like, you know, yeah. Why? Yeah, we should do a men in agile. Yeah, it's like 
why do you have to have a conversation and just uh just around you know women and agile what's what there's something wrong just because you had to do that <laughs> so we need to balance and have a conversation on the men's side absolutely in a couple weeks when I mean, she's free so that's good all righty gentlemen uh till next week thanks for listening